It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. We are on the road again for this podcast, looking at an organization that is working to help veterans. Now, so many of them are dealing with mental health issues, post-traumatic stress disorder, and just access to health care. Cole Lyle is the executive director of Mission Roll Call, and he founded the organization after his own brush with death and a crisis of faith. He contemplated suicide as the only way to escape the emotional demons attacking him after the trauma of battle. But then the Bible helped him find his way to creating this organization, Mission Roll Call, and helping him in his walk is a beautiful girl named Kaya. Actually, Kaya is a beautiful German shepherd, a specially trained service animal that senses Cole's moods. He'll explain more why so many veterans should have a friend like Kaya. Anyway, I happened to meet Cole and Kaya at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention a few weeks ago, and so we sat down for a chat. Take a listen. So I know everything about you. Tell me your name and organization. Yeah, Cole Lyle, Executive Director of Mission Roll Call, okay. uh, which is a national veteran service organization. Um, suicide prevention is our number one priority, mm. uh, followed by access to care and benefits uh, that veterans have earned uh, by their service, uh, and then amplifying the voices of underserved veteran populations, tribal veterans, rural veterans, uh, female veterans mm-hmm. that are a, a smaller percentage of the overall veteran population with unique access to care issues. Um, so we just make sure that they're not left out of the conversation as Congress and um, the administration kind of, you know, uh, compromise on, on legislation and go through the whole legislative yeah. process and regulatory process and all that. So. Now. You're a handsome guy. I mean, you're like six foot five at least, right? Oh, thank right? you. Yeah, so well, I've got boots on. But okay. Yeah, yeah, about six. Five. But Kaya is stealing the show here. She is she a German does. shepherd, yeah. and she's just so precious. Yeah. And tell us about Kaya. So um, Kaya, she'll actually be eight this April. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2014, I went through probably the roughest point in my life. I, I joined the Marine Corps uh, in 2008, straight out of high school. Uh, did a deployment to Afghanistan in 2011. I got out in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was going through a divorce at the time. Didn't have a job yet. Wasn't in school. Uh, so I was really kind of suffering from a lack of purpose. A lot of uh, people that join the military, they, they do it for the economic reasons, the GI Bill, things like that. But, right. Um, a, the majority of them do it because they want to feel like they belong to something, right? They want that sense of purpose. Um, and when they get out, they struggle with refinding that sense of purpose, um, which, you know, is something that at the time I was dealing with, but mm-hmm. I also had service-connected um, issues with post-traumatic stress, and uh, I had been on medication that the VA prescribed, was uh, doing informal counseling at a local veteran center. And to be honest, the, the pills exacerbated my symptoms uh, to the point that I was about a pound or two of trigger pull away wow. from becoming a veteran suicide statistic until a Marine intervened. And the next day, and 
I like to joke that the worst parts of my life are in the congressional record because I've testified about this a couple times. <laughs> um, but that night, you know, that I almost made that decision, I had had too much to drink, mm-hmm. right? Um, there was a, a gun in the house, and, and it was easy. Uh, so, And I got just deep down that dark path, and I was, you know, I, I didn't have the fortitude of, of Job to, to say, yeah. you know, um, what God giveth, God taketh away. And, um, and in that moment I was thinking like, why me God? Right. Yeah. And the next day I can't really explain it, but I woke up and I had had a lot to drink the night before mm-hmm. I woke up completely clear really, and not hung over at all and made the decision to, uh, quit the pills, cold Turkey. Um, that day I locked myself in a room. I'd heard, I used to watch the West Wing and there's this, um, there's this one scene where they talk about, um, strapping themselves to a chair until a solution, solution gets, uh, presented. So I locked myself in a room and it was almost about 30 hours with a Bible and a notebook. And I said, I'm not coming out of this room until I figure out what I want to do with my life and have a realistic plan to get there. Um, you know, in, in service to God. Uh, but, but so many people have goals and aspirations, but they don't back plan to figure out how they want to get there. Right. And I really decided ultimately that I wanted to get back into public service um, to help people that were going through some of the same things that I went through. As a former instrument of United States foreign policy, I wanted to help shape it. As, mm-hmm. a, as a veteran, I wanted to help shape veteran policy. So I had only had one friend in politics at the time and she worked um, on Senator Cruz's 2012 campaign. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to her and said, hey, how can I get involved? She connected me with a couple of lo- local uh, North Texas uh, political organizations, grassroots, you know, door knocking, that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, did mm-hmm. that. Um, but then I went to go uh, intern in Senator Cruz's office in 2015, spring of 2015, uh, when he announced he was running for president. Okay. Um, did that. But backing up a little bit, after that fateful night, and I decided to quit the pills, I had a direction for my life, but I still needed to figure out a way to mitigate the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. I had a friend who had had a service dog and uh, reached out to him, found out that the VA doesn't provide any funding for it. Nonprofits that do have wait lists of three, 400 people. Wow. Um, and so I didn't feel like I had that time to wait. So I went to a trainer um, spent about $10,000 of my own money, got wow. her trained. She was trained to wake me up from nightmares. She'll jump up in bed, lick my face, wake me up, turn on the lights. Um, really? Yeah. And she does what's called animal assisted intervention. So I, I used to have some anxiety attacks mm-hmm. and she would get up in my face and lick my face, uh, to kind of break the snowball effect of that, um, depression or, or anxiety. And it worked wonders. It really did. How does a dog understand if you're having an anxiety attack? Well, uh, you know, dogs can, I I don't actually know specifically how she was trained to recognize that, but, Mm -hmm. you know, dogs can recognize um, rises or falls in, uh, you know, blood sugar levels or stress patterns in people's voices, things like that. So, I mean, it could be any number of things, but um, so it worked wonders for me. So fast mm-hmm. forward again to interning for Senator Cruz in uh, 2015 in spring. I, that was when she was being trained. I went back to Texas to pick her up before I then went to go intern at the Heritage Foundation, or specifically Heritage Action. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a summer. And I had her there. She was actually the first 
uh, intern service dog that they'd ever had. Her, <laughs> her photo, photo's up on the wall. But um, Senator Tillis actually stopped me on the street and said, hey, can I ask about your dog? And a lot of people do because I'm not blind. I don't have a limb missing. And they're like, why does this guy have a service dog? Yeah, yeah. So I started to talk to him about it. And uh, he said, well, what do you think we should do about it? And I said, well, you're the policymaker. You tell me, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how the VA works, like, uh, except for being an end user, right? Um, so he asked me to come to his office. And I went. And nothing came of that meeting except for the fact that he was willing to listen. Because I didn't have a solution to yeah. present to him. I just had the problem. Yeah. And members of Congress so often, they get they get pulled in so many different directions because their constituents or other interest groups or whatever just pull them in all yeah, different directions. Yeah, they got a lot to deal with. So, um, so I wrote up the first iteration of what became known as the PAWS Act, uh, acronym for Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Members, mm. uh, that would have provided basically grant funding to nonprofits that provide these service dogs. Yeah. Um, then Congressman Ron DeSantis was the sponsor of that bill. Um, it, it was in 2016, had huge bipartisan support, even in a heated election year. Uh, Tim Kaine was on the Senate companion to that bill, but mm -hmm. so was Marco Rubio. Uh, it was very bipartisan. Didn't pass that Congress. Uh, I also should note I was at Texas A&M this entire time, so I was flying back and forth with, you wow. know, taking 20-hour semesters and two part-time jobs and flying back and forth to meet. Wow. I, had a I was in a political science degree, um, and I was actually doing political science, <laughs> <laughs> which was funny. But um, anyway, so I moved to D.C. after I graduated from Texas A&M, and I got a job working mental health policy for the American Legion. Ultimately went to go work for uh, Senator Burr. Uh, for three years, and then uh, went to go work in the belly of the beast at, at VA um, wow. for a little bit of time, uh, and then left and now assumed this role after the Afghanistan withdrawal happened. I had been involved in veteran suicide prevention policy for a while, uh, but Afghanistan in particular, a lot of the veterans who served there, I was the only one in my former unit who had served at the federal policy level. So they would come back and ask me, how are we letting this happen? How is the U.S. government not doing more in this situation right, to protect American right. citizens and SIVs? Um, and I had to talk three of them down from suicide. Uh, one who was driving drunk and talking about running off the road. One had a gun oh, to his head. Oh, my goodness. And, and this is where it kind of comes back to the, you know, my personal motivations for this cause. Because, um, you know, my faith drives what I do, right, right? right? And I mentioned earlier that that sense of purpose that people are lacking, um, veterans when they get out, you know, for me, you know, Jesus is my purpose, right? right? Mm -hmm. And um, so when I have conversations with veterans who otherwise are not very religious, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's kind of a unique opportunity of ministry, but not you know, being too heavy-handed with it, right, while they're in that right. vulnerable spot. Because so often I've found in my life the Christians that have most affected me, I may not have known that they were Christians up front. They were just kind, sweet mm. human beings um, that really, you know, tried to imitate Christ in every aspect of their life. Um, and sometimes only later found out that they were Christians when they would have right. me over for Sunday dinner and then invite me to church and like start to work that into the relationship. But with veterans who are in crisis or having personal issues, um, 
the immediate need really needs to get handled before they'll be receptive to anything else. But it's like most of the Marines and other veterans that I've dealt with, um, I've had relationships you know, yeah. with. So. I, I feel like the, the federal government and has really dropped the ball on veterans and taking care of the veterans who come home. You know, it, it's a complicated issue because, as I, I mentioned earlier, 80% of people uh, that serve on active duty had an immediate family member that served. So military mm-hmm. service is becoming a family business. Yeah. Um, and the American public really only understands veterans by what they consume that comes out of Hollywood um, mm-hmm. or on TV shows or stories they see on the news. They can either see veterans uh, typically as, as one of two extremes. They're either broken and on hair triggers or they're you know, Medal of Honor recipients and they're heroes. Mm. But there's so many. There's 18 million veterans in the United States. Um, and only 30% of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans are diagnosed with a mental health issue, right? So the majority of them do not have service-connected mental health issues. Do they, do, how many of them actually sort of stuff it down? Maybe maybe not recognize it or they don't realize or they're trying to self-medicate it without even going to the VA? Well, uh, the VA, there's only 9 million veterans enrolled in VA, so about half of the entire veteran population in the United States. Some, you know, they get out and they just want nothing to do with the bureaucracy, Mm -hmm. right? Or some may have private health insurance and they use private providers. Um, It's really hard to say how many, you know, have those issues but Mm -hmm. don't report them or don't deal with them in healthy, appropriate ways. Um, because you know they're not they're not taking surveys about it, right? And, right. and and it's it's hard to gauge. But I am, you know, very optimistic that the stigma, generally speaking, in the American population and in the veteran community, is slowly starting to you know get better, uh, especially over the last twenty years, because post traumatic stress is is called the quote unquote signature wound of Iraq right. and Afghanistan. Um, so I'm I'm encouraged and optimistic. But this is where I get back to the community. The VA is the government organization that's designed to take care of these veterans. But the community, that doesn't mean the community's off the hook, right? Community right. organizations, and as Christians, right, mm-hmm. Christians, Christian organizations, um, you know, getting connected to a veteran that you may not know, or if you feel so compelled to, um, you know, volunteer at a local veteran service organization and get to know these issues that veterans deal with a little bit more, Donate mm-hmm. your time, talk about it, right. learn what they struggle with, because um, regrettably, there's roughly 17 veterans a day that commit suicide, which is over 6,000 a year, um, and the VA can't do this on its own. We can put the VA's funding has increased fivefold since 2002. That's a um, that's a, that's like a, an, an epidemic. It is an epidemic. And the veterans are. Um, almost two times as likely to commit suicide as uh, their civilian counterparts. And there's a number of different reasons that we could we could say that causes that. Um, but, you know, when somebody's about to make that irreversible decision, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to determine exactly what the straw that broke the camel's back was. It could be financial, it could be relationship, it could be a service-connected mental yeah. health issue. Yeah. Um, but the community involvement is so key because you want to catch them before they get to that point. And you're not going to do that if 
you know, they, if they're not engaged with community organizations, with churches, um, right. with small small group, you know, Bible studies or, or whatever the case may be, um, because even if you're not familiar with veteran issues, but you know a veteran and they're struggling with, you know, some short-term financial issue or a relationship right. issue, the body of Christ can be so instrumental in reaching out to this population and showing them Christ's love. And, and helping them before they get to that point. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a little break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Okay, welcome back to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. You know, um... After World War II, or at least World War II, and that's such a conflict that had such a clear-cut enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so defined. And right. the service members that came home were the, clearly the heroes, and they were mm-hmm. celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, ticker tape parades, and, you know, everybody could, you, they couldn't buy their own drink, you know, mm-hmm. for a while, because, you know, you're in uniform, right. you're my hero. Right. The conflicts since then have not been quite as defined. How has that contributed to how they're perceived, veterans are perceived by the community? Well, it's a great question. And actually, because Ukraine's going on right now, it's it's a question that um, veterans, you see veterans going to volunteer to help defend Ukraine because it is, like World War II, a very clear-cut case of uh, a communist aggressor that is committing atrocities, war crimes, human rights violations. They just, you know, Putin bombed a maternity hospital. Um, It's very clear that this is an evil regime, uh, and Ukraine is fighting for its right for self-preservation, for freedom, for individual liberty, which is what most veterans raise their right hand to defend, uh, you know, in part, right? The U.S. Mm -hmm. Constitution as well. Uh, but the inherent values that they want to defend are what Ukraine is fighting for. So you're seeing a lot of veterans volunteer for that. The invasion of Afghanistan was really the first um, morally justified war, uh, you know, since World War II and Korea, um, because we were attacked and we responded, right. and you know, we went into Afghanistan, and only strategic policymakers, the politicians and the generals. They they let what I call mission creep happen, where it became, let's keep Afghanistan from being a safe haven for terrorists who might, you know, right. whatever, and and let's, uh, you know, let's capture Bin Laden, and it became okay. Well, now we have to build a democracy in Afghanistan, and now we right. have to do this, and now we have to win hearts and minds, and soldiers became social workers, kind of, mm. and, which is not something they're trained to do. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. It, Vietnam saw the pendulum swing from World War II. You know, veterans came home and they got spit on, mm-hmm. right? And, right, exactly. Um, Iraq notwithstanding, and the, and the justifications for Iraq notwithstanding, Afghanistan was a morally justified war. And I think the American people have come to the conclusion that even if we disagreed with President Bush in Iraq, we're going to respect the people that have to go over there and fight for our individual liberties right. and our freedoms. Um, which is a healthy, I think, way to, to look about it. If you disagree with the President of the United States, if President Biden were to send troops into Ukraine next week, 
right? There'd be a lot of Americans that disagreed with him. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't support the people that go over and and fight in that you know hypothetical conflict. You want to make sure they have the tools that they need to do their jobs, to come back safely, and then give the VA and community organizations tools to take care of them when they get back. You know, how do you see your role now? I mean, like, how do you see your role in the complicated? pathway journey of veterans and, you know, the federal government. Yeah. Mission Roll Call was set up, and, and listeners can go to missionrollcall.org and, and uh, check out our uh, website. We put out content. One of the main things we do, uh, traditional veteran service organizations like the Legion, the BFW, if an individual veteran goes to a post and they have a legislative idea, that idea gets filtered at their post level, at their state convention level, at their national level, before it gets presented to Congress. It's not as immediate. It could get filtered out. Mission Roll Call is designed um, to take the unfiltered voice of veterans across the United States and present it to members of Congress hmm. um, through polling data, and then we tell stories. We publish content. This month, we're publishing um, two content pieces about um, some female veterans uh, doing great work in their communities um, as a part of Women's History Month. Um, and highlighting their contributions to their communities. And, you know, they were they were trailblazers during their time in service, but they're still serving, and right. they're finding their purpose in serving their community in different capacities. And we really want to tell more of those stories because I think a lot of communities don't realize how many veterans are in their communities and want to continue serving. Um, but my role, I view, is, you know, is... is helping Congress be thoughtful and crafting legislation that makes sense to attack some of these issues that are extremely complicated, like veteran suicide, um, like access to community care providers if the yeah. VA can't provide care within a timely or effective manner, um, and making sure that voices of underserved veteran populations are heard during these deliberative, you know, debates in Congress. You know, um, I my husband likes to say a lot. You know, isn't can't we just do better than this for veterans? Shouldn't there be some kind of you know pathway that's just there for them, rather than them you know going on food stamps or you know not having a job or whatever it is? Is there a way to just do better than what we're doing? Well, I think you've seen um, one of the reasons why it's hard. Um, the, let me be clear. I have great experiences with, with VA myself. Yeah. But there's a common saying amongst veterans that if you've been to one VA, you've been to one VA. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that it's the largest healthcare system in the United States, and it's the second largest federal agency behind the Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. It's a hugely complicated administration um, that is difficult to implement sweeping changes at a local level because they serve... You know, I mean, you're going to serve veterans in Los Angeles a lot differently than you're going to serve veterans in Montana, for right, instance, right? right? You have different populations with different needs, and, and it's hard to uniformly implement changes successfully. Um, that's why the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, they put out their list of priorities every year, and the local and regional directors at VA have a lot of leeway in how they implement uh changes in their budgets to the local population based on the secretary's priorities. So one of the things Mission Roll Call is doing right now, we met with the secretary's office um, in December, 
Uh, we're likely going to testify in front of one of the committees in the next couple of months. Right. Um, but one of the things we want the secretary to do is make suicide prevention the VA's number one priority. Uh, yes. Right now, it's 4B on a list of 1 to 6, uh, which is unacceptable because this is an urgent, urgent problem with 17 veterans a day committing suicide. And likely, if you're doing suicide prevention outreach well, um, you know, you're going to capture veterans that have primary care issues. You're going to capture the homeless veteran population. Right, it, right. It's going to trickle down to a bunch of different problems. Um, so that's a that's a big deal. But like I said, the VA's budget has increased fivefold since 2002. It's not really a funding problem. No, right? I guess not. It's it's uh, <laughs> it, it it seems to me having worked at VA and having seen it from you know working in Congress and doing oversight there and being a, an end user of VA myself, um, it's really more of a bureaucracy problem um, and. Congress has a role to play in this because they'll pass legislation and, you know, they won't see things change fast enough. Right. And so they'll come back and change it again. And then it starts over the regulatory implementation process at VA, which, again, is complicated because it's a large administration. Um, And veteran service organizations in D.C., you know, sometimes are a little heavy handed or aren't as as good uh, at the oversight role. So there's a lot of different reasons why this is a particularly complicated issue but you know i i having served in afghanistan as a junior enlisted marine i saw it from this level and from you know being an end user of va you know i've i've received a letter in the mail from va for an appointment that was before the post date on the letter itself right (laughs) like I've had my own issues with VA, <laughs> um, but I've also seen some of the success success stories um, by talking to veterans that have been served well by the VAs in their community. Um, so, you know, I apologize for rambling, but uh, no, I'm, I think this is wonderful, and I'm 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 so impressed with Kaya because she's just been sitting here for you know thirty minutes, just yeah. you know taking. Can I pet her, or is she? Um, typically, you know, you don't pet the yeah, service you dogs. Don't, yeah, you're not supposed to uh, pet service dogs um, while their vest is on. It's actually pretty remarkable. Once the vest comes off, she's like a regular dog, but she she knows when she's working and when she's not. But that's what she thousands knows of when dollars she's of working. training. Oh we'll my you. goodness! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, she's been everywhere. Actually, um, if you go on her Instagram, you can see like mm-hmm. you know we've been to the top of the Empire State Building. We've flown on helicopters. Wow. You know, we've been to college football games. Like. She's been to the White House. She's been, she's been everywhere. She's a celebrity. Imaginable. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's funny because in D.C. at the height of the Paws Act stuff, mm-hmm. um, I would sometimes get stopped and people would be like, oh, my gosh, is this Kaya? And I'm like, who are you? And they're like, <laughs> I follow her on Instagram. And I'm like, uh, that's weird. That's a little weird to me. Because the only reason I started her Instagram is because it was easy to target members of Congress when I was advocating for the Paws Act. Because yeah. it, it was like a pitch. It was a way to, to get them. Well, she knows she's talk- she yeah, knows she you're knows talking about She knows talking about her. She just got up. But, um, but yeah, so I just I just kind of kept it afterwards. And it's mm-hmm. um, it's funny. But. Yeah, no, I, 
100%. She's definitely wow. more famous than, than I am. If I know you said there's a waiting list for service animals, mm-hmm. um, but is there a way to increase the number of service animals that are out there? Can, is, there is there a way to, for people to donate or to... Um, so the largest organization that does this is actually in Florida. It's called Canines for Warriors, and they're mm-hmm. opening up a mega kennel near San Antonio in mm-hmm. Texas right now. Um, you know, service dogs are expensive um, up yeah. front they're expensive but you know you see a reduction in the amount of prescription medications that veterans are on if they have a service dog um there's no negative effect with dogs like there are pills Mm -hmm. um so while the cost up front um is expensive and that's why i would encourage people to you know just find one that's close to them and maybe make a donation um but canines for warriors is the largest organization that does this and they've got i think 400 veterans on their waiting list right now wow um and they use they they tend to use uh, rescue animals actually. Mm-hmm. Um, they I think they very rarely use um, purebred dogs. Because um, she's a police dog. Because these are the dogs the police use. Well, so you tend to see service animals um, either be German shepherds, labs, um, kind of the breeds that are intelligent, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. easily trainable. Yeah. It's all typically the same kind of breed of, of, I see. of dog. Um, and I apologize. She's getting a little restless here. She's That's been, okay. Okay, we're almost done. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that look. It's like, you know, I'm hungry. She, yeah. you, know, you get some water up there? Yeah, well, It's I can also do that humid there. in this Gaylord because of all the, <laughs> you know, fountains and stuff out there. Oh my so, goodness, yes. It might be a little warm, but... Yeah, well, you know, I forget to tell people we're here at the uh, NRB, which is at the Gaylord Opry, and it's like this huge, mega, like... Resort, yeah. and it's just you know you go for a mile walk with yeah. just trying to get to one place from another. But uh, um, Cole Lyle, right? Mm-hmm. Cole, thank you so much. And it's it's um, uh, the organization is called Mission Roll Call. Mission Roll Call. And how can people find out more about it? Um, you can go to missionrollcall.org. Sign up for text and email updates. Uh, we're on every social media platform: Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, putting out content, like, engage, share with us. Um, Great. But yeah. Great. And thank you for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm Lauren Green. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed day. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.